All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and head back to the book of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. This evening, we're going to try to finish this passage on the bread of life. Originally, my plan was to, to do an I am statement just tonight, but I'm turning into one of those long-winded preachers. You know how that is? So it's supposed to be like one sermon, then it goes to like three sermons or four sermons. I'll try to, try to fix that, but that's just, that's just where we are. Um, now remember, we, we saw, I'm not going to review it all because you were here this morning. You know where we're at. We saw the feeding of the 5,000. It wasn't about the feeding. It wasn't about the miracle. It wasn't about the bread. It was a sign that pointed to Jesus. The whole miracle, that's why we, we read about the signs and wonders. It's not ever about the miracle. It's about the one who performs the miracle. And so in this context, Jesus does the amazing so that people will see and it will lead them to believe. And then we saw Jesus walking on the water and he made that I am statement and it foreshadowed the things that were to come. And then in verses 22 through 34, we see a, a back and forth where the crowd is, is seeking Jesus as long as they can control him, as long as they can put him in a box, as long as they can make Jesus what they want Jesus to be, then they go all in and they say, let's make him the king. But when they can't do that, things begin to change. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, but let me just, remember what he said, we, we ended, this is where we ended, we ended to where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the only one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You ought to mark that down in your Bible. That's just a good verse, isn't it? I mean, no matter what you're going through in life, to realize that he is the bread, he is the one that sustains you, he is the one that fills you, he is the one that completes you in life, it is a, a good place to be. But so when you look at that verse, it's good news, isn't it? And when, when you read, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst, if you're an amen guy, that's a good amen spot. You're someone that says, man, I like a good verse. That's the spot to say that is a good verse. And so I read it and I look at it and I just think to myself, man, that is good news. That is good news for everybody who's ever existed. That is good news for everyone who has ever heard. And so in this context, Jesus is speaking and I'm thinking, man, that is, that is just a powerful, powerful message that he has delivered to this crowd. But now look at verse 36. It really blows my mind in verse 36. It says, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. There's an incredible statement. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never hunger. If you come to me, you will never thirst. And Jesus builds it up. We saw it this morning. He builds it up. He uses all these different ways to build it up. But then verse 36 says, but some have seen me and they don't believe. Some have seen, but yet they still do not believe. All right. Have you ever felt rejection? You have, hadn't you? All right, y'all are kind of out of it tonight. Wake up. Come on. You felt rejection, haven't you? We all have. 
In fact, rejection is a part of life. No matter how bad we try to avoid it, we all experience rejection. I think about on the, uh, the little playground, and I hate doing this. I don't, I don't let kids do it when I'm in charge, but picking kickball teams. You remember those days? And all the, all the kids are lined up, and they start picking two team captains. You're on my team, and well, you're on my team. And they're picking the, the strongest kids, the fastest, whatever it is. But there's always going to be the last pick, right? Rejection. Or what about the, the young man who is building up his courage and he's going to ask that, that girl on a date, and his palms are sweaty. Some of you remember that. His palms are sweaty. He's stuttering over his words. And he goes, and he's asked if she would go on a date with him. And she says, nope. You've been there, I can tell. <laughs> nope. Rejection. Or what about the young woman who goes through her life and she's got this college picked out and she wants so badly to go to this college and so all through high school she's working hard, she's doing her best and it comes to the time to send in the college application and so she does it perfectly. She fills everything out perfectly. She mails the application in. Every day she runs to the mailbox to check the mail and finally the letter comes and she holds it up, she gathers her family and friends around, she opens it up, rejection. What what about the young man who has been waiting for this dream job and he finally gets the interview? And so he goes into the office, he does his very best, but he finds out he doesn't get the job. We've all been there, haven't we? I've been there, y'all see my wife here? We dated and I was 15 and she was a lot older than I am, but we dated for a long time. Can I tell you what happened? She broke up with me not one time, not twice, three times. Three times, I am persistent. If I am anything, I am persistent. Look, they don't even laugh. They feel sorry for me. You see that? I mean, I don't even know what to say on that. It's like, golly, you just kept going back. Yeah, I did, yes, three times. So I know what it is to be rejected. You know what it is to be rejected. We've all felt that. We have all experienced that. No matter how hard we try to hide from rejection, it will find us. But I want you to understand, and maybe you know it, but you've never really thought about it through the Scriptures, that Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected. And it's incredible because he gave the glorious news. He used visuals. He used signs. He used miracles. He did it all perfectly, but yet the Bible says some have seen, but they still don't believe. You have seen, and yet you still don't believe? You saw the miracle? You heard Jesus teach, and yet you still do not believe. It's almost unimaginable, isn't it? It's like, how how do you not believe? You saw it. You're in his presence. How do you not believe? And it's not just a one-time experience. Throughout the whole Gospels, we see the story of the rejection of Jesus. Remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and he talked about how a prophet has no honor in his hometown? The Bible says, and this is in early on, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is teaching, and it says that they they get angry. Let me read it to you. It says, when they heard these things, talking about Jesus' teaching, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up to drive him out of town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. I mean, that's bad, isn't it? They want to throw him off the cliff. They want to kill him. They don't like his teaching. But he slipped away. And then in Matthew chapter 8, we find that there are these two men, and they are demon-possessed. Well, praise the Lord. Jesus comes in. He drives the demons out. You remember the passage? He drives the demons out, and they make a request. They say, would you please throw us into the pigs? And so Jesus said, all right, in the pigs. And so the demons go in the pigs, and they run off the cliff, and they die. And then the town comes out, and you know what they don't say? They don't say, oh, Lord, thank you for saving these two men. I don't care about those two men. They don't say, oh, Lord, you've done such a good thing in their life. The Bible says they come in and they plead and they begged him to leave their region. He, he did a great thing, but the crowd comes out and says, you're messing with my finances. You're messing with my livestock. You're messing with my money. Please go away. Rejection. Or what about this? At the end of the book of Matthew, we find Judas, who is one of his closest followers, has to be one of his, his best friends. They eat together every day. They sleep close to each other. I mean, they are always together. But he goes and he says, what will you give me if I betray Jesus to you? That's rejection. Had to hurt. Or, or what about Peter? Lord, I'll never reject you. Lord, I'll never deny you. Lord, I'll always be there. And before the rooster crows, he has done it not once, not twice, but three times. There's something about the number three tonight. I'm not sure what it is. Three times he rejects his Lord and Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, who did everything perfectly, faced rejection. Here's my point. We should not be surprised when we face rejection. It should not shock us. It should not surprise us when we face rejection. If we go through life and we live for Jesus, we will be rejected. Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, if, if you go out, and Brother Greg could share this with us, if you go out and knock on doors, you're going to face rejection, aren't you? You go out and you share your faith, you're going to face rejection. If you work in the student ministry or in the children's ministry, you're going to face times that you just feel like you are so rejected. If you lead a small group, you're going to have times you walk away and the video didn't work or nothing that was supposed to go right went right and you're going to feel like just, just nothing worked. But that's part of it. It's part of life. It's part of ministry. And I'll just tell you this, if you want to go through life and not face rejection for spiritual reasons, I can tell you how to do it. Okay, if you really want to avoid rejection spiritually, just do nothing for the kingdom of God. Okay? If you don't want any rejection, don't do anything for the kingdom of God. Because if you are serving 
If you've got your, your heart in it and you're really working at it, you will face times of rejection. I, I think about it in, in my life. There are times that, man, I will go and like week long. I mean, for me, I'm just slow, y'all. I don't know how Brother Charles does it because he can run around like Dallas and all over and then come and preach. I can't do that. For me to preach, I've got to sit in front of a computer for a long time. I've got to have Bibles and I've got to have commentaries and I've got to have all this stuff going and praying about it and seeking the Lord. And just, I'm just slow at it. I mean, it just takes me a lot to put a, a sermon down and to, to prepare and to get ready. And so man, there, there's times that it's just like so much, so much, and I'll go to lunch with some friends, and they'll be talking about their day, what they've been doing. What have you done? Well, I sat in front of a computer all morning. That's what I did. And so you, you put all you've got into it. You get ready. You get the outline. You get the manuscript. You get all the illustrations, everything that, that you can, you put in it. And then there are times you come up here and you preach, and you try to do your very best, but it feels like it just, it just doesn't connect. You know what I'm saying? It, it just feels like I just missed it. Did, was, was it me? People just didn't get it. There's this message on a Sunday morning. You know, there's lost people, and you preach about believing. You preach about this stuff, and you say, man, did people just, just miss it? Did I do something wrong? Did I not say something right? Well, it could, could there have been a better illustration? Was the point missed? No matter what we do in ministry and life, there's going to be these times that we just feel like we're just not good enough. Just, my, my efforts, they're just, they're just coming in vain. Just wasn't enough. Whether you teach, whether you sing, and you, you miss a note, you miss a strum, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing, you're a part of, there's going to be these, these times of rejection. So Jesus was rejected. But why did they reject the crowd saw, they heard God in the flesh, their, their curiosity, their appetite was grown, their political ambition was grown, but they rejected the true message of Christ. Was it because his message was not delivered well? No. Was it because Jesus did not have the charisma that he needed to have? And because he didn't have the charisma, people didn't respond? No. You see, a lot of times that's what we do. And we think, well, you know what? The problem is I'm just not doing this good enough or I'm just not doing this good enough. And so if I tweak this, Jesus did everything right. And what happened? Rejection. Still, still perfect message. And yet still there was rejection. Look at verse 41 and 42. We'll give us a little glimpse of why. It says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said I am the bread that came down from heaven and they said is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say I have come down from heaven all right so Jesus says this he says I am the bread from where from heaven and so they're they're looking and they're saying he said he came down from heaven I know this guy I know where he came from I know where he lived. I know his mama and I know his daddy. He says he came down from heaven. That is, that is baloney. I saw him when he was a kid. I saw him walking around. I know that he didn't come down from heaven. And so they take this and they begin to rebel and reject his message. 
Well, why do people reject today? Well, maybe they don't like the message. Maybe they don't like the commitment. Maybe grace is too easy. Maybe there's pride in the way. Maybe there's hypocrites in the church. You ever heard any of these reasons? There are so many reasons that people can reject. We don't have time to go through all of them. Millions of reasons people reject. So how does the church respond? Here's one of the problems. You know what the many churches do? We just get consumer-driven. And what I mean by that is we begin to change and we begin to say, I will do anything, absolutely anything, just to get people in here. I will preach a message that damns your soul to hell if it means that you come in and we have more buildings and we have more people. There are many ministries that that is the way that they're built. As long as we make our churches practical, relevant, and contemporary, as long as we're, we're chasing after this experience, I'm reminded back in Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and that's what's happening in many churches. Many churches, pastors get up, and they're selective about what they preach from. They will avoid certain topics. They'll avoid certain things that people don't want to listen to. There, there, there's worship ministers who are more concerned with the rift of a song and the feelings and the emotion, and it does not matter what the words say. As long as someone can walk away with an emotion, as long as somebody can walk away and say, boy, I felt something today. You know, that, that's not biblical. I had this, this feeling. Well, maybe you just had gas. I'm not sure. As long as we get goosebumps, as long as something rises up on my arms and I, I feel something inside of me and I, I, I get this movement going. And so we begin to change what we do. We begin to change who we are. There, there, there's preachers preaching. I'm not trying to be negative, but the whole sermon is built around an illustration. It's not built upon the Word of God. It's built around a story. It's built around a joke. It's built around something that is not from God. Because we want to make sure that nobody rejects us. We want to make sure that nobody walks away. We want to make sure that nobody leaves. But I want you to understand that when we are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will face rejection. I will face it and you will face it. So I just want to look real quickly. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to rejection when we preach and it falls on deaf ears? How do we respond when we, we sing and there's just nothing going on? How do we respond when we teach and it doesn't work? Or we lead in this area or this capacity? Or we share our faith? Or we knock on a door? Or we try to live a Christian life and we are ridiculed because of it? How do we respond when we are rejected? All right, look at verse 37. First thing I want you to notice is we trust God. When we are rejected, we trust God. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So Jesus gave the message, I am the bread of life. His message is rejected, and then he says, all that the Father gives me will come. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Do you see what his confidence is on? His confidence is not on the way that he delivers a message. His confidence is not based upon the number of people that come down. 
You want to know how, how preachers do it? Maybe, maybe this whole message is built more towards me than you, and you're just here to listen. Thank you for that. You know how preachers gauge success? Well, how many people walked down and joined or got saved? So if, if it doesn't, it's like, was that just a flop? What Jesus does is he said, hey, I, I gave the message, and now I'm trusting God. My confidence is not based upon the response. My confidence is based upon God. And so if you just do what God's called you to do, and listen, every one of us in here tonight, we have a ministry. You are involved in a ministry, or you should be. You are called to a ministry. And so whatever that ministry is in your life, you're to go all in. You're to do your very best. You're to work hard at it, and then you're to trust God. You're going to put your heart in it and work at it. But when it's said and done, the success of the mission is upon God and it's not on you. The success of the mission is on God and it is not upon me. Now, it's not an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse not to do anything. It means to go preach, go teach, go sing, go minister, go knock on doors, go visit the prisons, go do whatever it is that your area of ministry is. But after you've done it and you're faithful, leave it to God. Trust God. Jesus' confidence was built upon God and not on the response. Now look at verse 38. Why? Why? Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm trusting God because it's not about me anyway, it's all about him. What if we realize that in our life? My life, it's not about me. It's not about my gifts, my talents, it's not about what I do, but it is all about him. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. Goes on in Galatians 2, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. That means I no longer live. It's not about me. Who's it about? It's about God. And so when I face rejection, when I face times of difficulty, I'm going to leave it to God. I'm not, not going to get down about it. I'm not going to let it weigh me down. I'm going to say, Lord, I did what you, now, that's the first. You got to do what God tells you to do. And when you do, then you say, God, I'm trusting you with it. So what is the will of the Father? Look at verse 40. Beautiful verse. Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So it's all about salvation. It's all about bringing folks to salvation. But notice verse 43 and 44, verses that are so misunderstood and that so many people forget about and they leave out. Verse 43 and 44, then Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me, look at it, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see that? There are times that you can go to someone and you can do everything right. You can do everything perfect. You can share the plan of salvation. Just impeccable. But if the Holy Spirit does not draw them, they cannot be saved. The only way to be saved is when the Holy Spirit draws. 
I had a guy not long ago, I, I mentioned it this morning, and I, was, I had the opportunity to share the plan of salvation with him. And the guy, he was listening, and I was talking to Brittany after it happened. At any moment, I could have had him say a prayer. He would have done it. I mean, we were there, and at any moment, I, if I would have said, hey, so this is the plan of salvation, let's pray together. Do you want to pray? I'm telling you, he would have said yes, we would have prayed, and we would have rejoiced. But in my heart, I knew he wasn't ready. He said, I, I, you know, I believe, but, but I just don't know if I really believe. It was one of, those, one of those kind of things. The Holy Spirit was not drawing him to salvation. I, I could have I had him sign a card. I could have baptized him. I could have gone through all of it. But all that would have done was given him a sense of false security. I, I'd rather he know he's lost than to think he's maybe saved. He, he wasn't ready. I said, do, do you believe this? Well, kind of. Just not real sure about it. we got to be careful when we, when we push salvation that we let the Holy Spirit work. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Let the Holy Spirit draw. That's why to me we don't, we don't have to sing 25 verses during the invitation. If the Holy Spirit's drawing, they will come. If the Holy Spirit's not, then I don't want to talk you into it. I don't want to talk you into something that the Holy Spirit is not in. And so we see, he says, no one can come unless the Father draws him. You remember our story we're talking about where Jesus is walking, Matthew 16, with his disciples, and he says, who do you say that I am? Okay, uh, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he turns, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the Christ. And, and what does Jesus say next? Simon, Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't, you didn't just come up with this. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You got the answer, but it's not because of you. It's because of God. The Lord gave it to you. Or in Acts, Acts 16, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed to be at the place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was the worshiper of God. And now listen, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Who did it? The Lord. You know, and so, so there are times that, that you look back and say, well, if I would have done this, if I would have done this, if I would have done this. If we had more charisma, if we had more time to study, and all that may be. We should do our best, but we've got to realize that salvation comes by the Spirit of God. And so the most important thing that we're to seek is for God to intervene. This, this time, this preaching time, is nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't come down. There's nothing good I can do apart from the Holy Spirit. In your areas of ministry, there's nothing good that you can do apart from the Holy Spirit. And many times, that's the last place we look. We're busy about making sure this is lined up and this is lined up and the schedule's done and the video's done and all this is done. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no point. There's no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 45. We're almost done. Wrapping up. He says, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by, by God. You see that? They will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes 
to me. The, the Father is the teacher. Let's keep on going now. Look at verse 53. And look at how Jesus responds, okay? They're rejecting his message. They are turning away. They're leaving. And in verse 53, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, you read that and you've got to come to one conclusion. It's kind of strange. Right? Talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And the only way that makes sense is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see that Jesus did not dumb the message down because people rejected. If anything, he raised it. If anything, he raised the standard. He said, this, this is what you want to follow me? You've got to eat my flesh. You've got to, you've got to drink my blood because I am the bread of life. If that's too much for you, then you've got to go on, on your way. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Verse 66, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. Again, they reject it. They say, we can't do this. And so they leave him behind. Verse 67, and so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Many will leave. Many will walk away. Many will say the message is too tough and the message is too harsh. But I want to be like Peter and say, Lord, where am I going to go? You're the one with the answers. Lord, you've got the key to eternal life. Lord, you are the true bread. Where am I going to go? Lord, I am right here with you. So I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to think about your life. Maybe, maybe it spoke to you because maybe there's something you're involved with, some type of ministry, and you're doing your best, but there are times you just feel like it's not enough. There's times you feel like somebody else could do it better. You know God called you to it, but you just feel like it's not enough. Let me just encourage you. It's not about you. You be faithful, trust God, and let God take care of the rest. Be faithful, trust God, let him take care of the rest. Maybe you're, you're praying for the salvation of someone. Praise God for that. That's biblical. But realize that salvation comes by the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, realize that we cannot lower the standard. We cannot lower the message. People reject Jesus, but he never changes the message. We are lost sinners in need of a Savior. And if folks don't like that, then they will not find salvation. 
We must be lost before we can be found. And so we cannot dumb down or lower the message. But let us be like Peter, who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Lord, thank you for your encouragement that comes from your scripture. Lord, I I pray that we will not take lightly the role of the Holy Spirit in ministry, God. When it comes to your work, God, that we will realize that it's not about us. It's not about our, our strengths or our weakness or our talents or our abilities. But, God, it's about opening ourselves to be used by you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will fill each one of us up for this week. That we'll go to our jobs, our schools, our family, wherever it is that we go, God, and that you will, you will just work in a supernatural way.